Uh, take our Bibles, Proverbs 14. We're just going to finish some things that we began last Sunday evening, and uh, we're going to jump right into, right into some things. Thank you again for your patience. You've been sitting for a little bit, so why don't you stand uh, as we read um, the text verse tonight, and uh, let's go to verse number 19. We'll read verse number 19 verse, and verse number uh, 20, 19, verse number 20, and verse number 21. Look what the Bible says there in Proverbs 14 and verse number 19. The evil bow before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Father, we thank you for your word and how it speaks to our hearts. What a joy it was to hear from uh, Pastor Abraham just a moment ago, and uh, Lord, how he uh, endured some suffering and, and what life is like in another part of the world. Lord, we take so much for granted here in the United States of America. I can't get over that testimony of, in America, we are told that we have all the freedoms and we can sing as loud as we want, and yet, Lord, you know our hearts, and you know that there are many times in a church like this among Christian believers, some barely even open their mouths, and yet there in a place like China, they wish that they could sing loudly. They're told to open their mouths wide and to pretend like they're singing, but not to make a sound because it could draw the attention of the authorities. What a convicting thought that is. Lord, to think that this man spent time in prison for preaching the gospel and trying to warn people of eternal place called hell. Lord, so often we have all the freedoms and the abilities, and yet we pass those opportunities by. What a convicting thought. Help us, Lord, as we spend a little bit of time here in the 14th chapter of Proverbs tonight. May you speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We began this message on this past Sunday evening. The title of the message is Hard Truths. And we understand that the Word of God has teaching or, or truths that really run counter to man's fleshly understanding. We gave, for example, last Sunday night, Proverbs thirteen seven, where the Bible says, There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing, there is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. And we would ask ourselves the question, how can that be? How is it possible that you could accumulate all of this wealth and yet really have nothing at all? And how is it possible that you could make yourself poor and, and give everything away and yet, and yet still be wealthy at the same time? Well, we understand that that's a truth that we have to acknowledge and we have to accept by faith. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. And we would ask the question, well, how is it, how is it that we take our bread and we cast it upon the water? We're giving it away. It is going to, it is going to float away. We're never going to see it again. How is it possible we're going to find it after many days? And we understand the concept or the truth, the spiritual truth of sowing and reaping. We even took you to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 10, where he talks about being troubled on every side, yet not distressed being perplexed but not in despair 
persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. In other words, we, we have all of these trials that we're dealing with. You, you saw a living uh, manifestation of that truth. Here is a man who is being persecuted for his faith, who is being imprisoned and, and, uh, in a very, very cold environment and, and, uh, and, and, and suffering even some, uh, some brutal beatings. And yet, and yet he's saying, I am filled with joy. I am grateful for these. How can that be? That can be because the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ sustains us during moments like this. So we understand that the Christian life is a life of faith, Hebrews eleven six. 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. And this chapter, the 14th chapter, I believe, of Proverbs lists several hard truths. In other words, things that are on the surface that may not seem to be true or that do not seem to make sense. And yet, as we accept these things by faith, we understand just how marvelous of a truth these things are. And we understand that God is at work in these things. We, we said the first verse um, indicates this truth, that ladies, you have more influence than you think. We talked about the, uh, the role that a, that a wife and that a mother and a woman that she plays in the home and how, uh, and how through her the temperature can be uh, very comfortable or through her the temperature can be very uncomfortable. Verse number one, it says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hand. And we gave some thoughts regarding uh, the woman and her influence in the home. And then we said, secondly, last week, that success is often inconvenient and messy. We looked at verse number four. But the Bible says that where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increases by the strength of the ox. You and I understand that you can get rid of the, you can get rid of the oxen, but you also say goodbye to the increase as well. And if there's going to be increase, if there's going to be some success, you're going to have to go into that crib from time to time, and you're going to have to clean up some of the messes, but it's worth it. It's worth it. The third truth that we talked about last week was this. A mask hides a lot from view. We saw that in verse number 13. The Bible says, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. And we talked about uh, our inability sometimes to, 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 to get real with one another. A lot of times we, we use laughter and we use mirth and, and, uh, and we put this facade on and it's sort of like a mask that we wear around and it really conceals what's really going on in our hearts and in our lives. We spoke some of those truths last Sunday and again if you were not here for that you may wish to go in online to YouTube or to our church's Facebook our church's website and find that message we won't spend a lot of time on those things tonight but I want to highlight these three verses that we've read verses 19 20 and 21 and I want to share with you three more truths that on the surface they don't seem to be true but as you dig in deep and if you have a heart of faith you'll discover them to be true number one number one or number four I guess in this message I will say this in the end here's the next truth in the the end, the good guys win. Verse number 19 reveals that truth. In the end, the good guys win. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking, and I know you're thinking there's no way. There's no way. Our world is being taken over by, uh, by the godless. Our world is being taken over by those who literally hate the Bible. Uh, they hate our Savior. They hate what we're trying to do. They literally think that you and I are dangerous. I'm telling you, that's, that's what's happening in our world. That's what's happening. And, and, uh, and there's coming a day, there is coming a day in which I have no doubt that the way Pastor Abraham was treated there in China, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that that day is coming here. It's coming here. 
I, I think that we are, we are heading down a slippery slope and then we look around this world and we think about how, how few of us there are who are truly Bible-believing, born-again Christians trying to walk by faith and trying to serve God and please God and yet we read this verse and we think to ourselves, you've got to be kidding me. How is it ever going to be that the evil are going to bow before the good? I, um, I, I will say that uh, most of us, our experience is that the good guy gets trampled on. The good guy gets taken advantage of. But I want you to know that this is, that, that, that mindset is a short-sighted, it is an in-the-moment type of a view. Ultimately, according to Scripture, the good and the righteous are going to climb to superior heights, and the, and the evil someday are going to bow before those who are true and those who are righteous. I want you to hold your place here in Proverbs 14, and I want you to go with me to Psalm 73, because Asaph wrote of this same, this same struggle to come to terms or come to grips with this idea that the good guys are ever going to win in Psalm 73. And he, and he begins this psalm with a great truth, and that is this, Psalm 73 begins with this truth, that God is good to those who possess a clean heart. Do you see that in 70, Psalm 73 and verse number 1? The Bible says there in that particular chapter, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But listen, Asaph had to learn this truth. He had to, he had to learn this truth because in verses 2 to 16, he describes his difficulties and he contrasts his difficulties with the ungodly and their apparent success and prospering. And as you read verses 2 to 16, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't really believe that God is good. Understand that, that verse number 1 is an overall premise or an overall um, statement that he is making, but he's giving us in verses 2 to 16, really the rest of the chapter, he's telling us how he came to this truth, that God is good even to them or such as to them that are of a pure heart. You see, he he talks about the things that was going on in his life and, and how he looked around him and he saw the evil were prospering and here he was trying to live a pure life and trying to be pleasing to God and he was struggling every step of the way and to Asaph it did not seem possible that the evil would ever bow before the good. But listen, his perspective was changed. His perspective was changed on this when he visited the sanctuary, when he visited the house or the dwelling place of God. Because it was there that he beheld eternal truth and he was reminded of some things. And here's what he was reminded of. Don't, don't lose sight of this. Get a hold of this. This life right here is the best life there will ever be for those who are evil. That, that's the conclusion that Asaph had when he came into the sanctuary. You see it there in verse 17. Look what he says in Psalm 73 and verse number 17. Until until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Asaph is complaining and he's, he, he's, he's murmuring and he's frustrated. God, why are, the, why are the evil prospering and why am I trying to live a holy life and, and, and I don't seem to ever be getting ahead? It doesn't ever seem like I can, I can win in life. Why is this? He says, but one day I went into the sanctuary of God. And I considered eternity and I considered life and death and I considered God and who he is and he was reminded, he says, but then I remembered that this life is the best that there will ever be for these people. So maybe 
In some respects, he thought to himself that maybe God is just trying to give them a little bit of good during this 70, 75, 80 years here on this earth because God knows what is coming for them. God knows that there is great difficulty. The end for wicked and unrighteous people, according to Scripture, is destruction and death. Would you look in verses 18 and 19? Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. It seems, doesn't it, like the evil are prospering right now. Can I say that all of what we're seeing right now, this is temporary, it's fleeting. These blessings, listen, these these perceived blessings, these successes that they're enjoying, this prosperity that they're enjoying, listen, these are things that cannot be held on to. The Bible is clear, isn't it? That sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And so, In the end, the good guys win. Why? Because, well, this life is the best life that there will ever be for those that are evil. But notice, secondly, in Psalm 73, Asaph came to this conclusion. Even in trials and difficulties, God is present with his people. Would you look in verse number 23? The Bible says in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And afterward, and afterward, receive me to glory. Asaph thought back over his life. And he looked around. He said, yeah, it is, it is sort of frustrating to see evil people succeeding and prospering and living their best life. And me trying just to get by and trying to please the Lord and trying to live a life as as self-disciplined as as I possibly can. But then he thought to himself, well, hold on a minute. What do I have that they don't have? And then he remembered this. He said, I have God. God has never abandoned me. Every step of the way, even in my most difficult moment, God has held on to me by my right hand. God is always present. God is always there. Asaph was not kept completely from trials and difficulties. But listen, he realized God had held his hand. God was consistently by his side. And God counseled him every step of the way. And that lifted his heart and encouraged his spirit. Here's the third truth that Asaph came to in Psalm 73. He said this, when when this life ends, God receives his people into glory. In other words, why, why is it that we, how, how do we win in the end? Here's how we win in the end. When we draw our last breath here on this earth, oh God, never lets go of our hand. He co- continues to hold us, but, but this, this time now he's not walking us through this life, but he's walking us, he's walking us into the next life. Amen. Look at the end of verse number 24. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me into glory. Oh, what a beautiful truth when I breathe my final breath. Even then, God refuses to abandon me. Instead, he safely carries me to my eternal home of joy, peace, and rest. It may not feel like it right now, but listen, you and I can rest in the fact that in the end, the good guys win. Keep living for the Lord. Keep living according to his word. Don't let the wicked, don't let the evil temporarily enjoying some measure of success move you move you from what god has taught you and where god would have you to be in the end the good guys win number number five the fifth truth that i find in proverbs 14 going back there is is this and this is a hard truth but we we need to acknowledge and understand it number five is this many relationships 
reflect selfish intentions. Would you look in verse number 20? He says, the poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich hath many friends. John F. Kennedy famously, famously said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. President Kennedy understood the nature of humanity, didn't he? The nature of humanity is always looking for how this can bless me, how this can help me, how this can set me forward for success. He understood that most people, most people in this life, including people in churches, including Christians, most people are users or they're takers. They're always looking for how they can personally benefit from any specific thing. The question that is most asked is this, what's in it for me? You say, that's really true about the church? It must be. It must be because look what James wrote in James chapter number two. Going back to the near the back of your Bible, James chapter number two, and James wrote in verse number one, he says, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, stand thou here, there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves. Well, I suppose James wrote something like that because that's a struggle in the church. That's even a struggle in the church that even in the church, many times our, our relationships, they reflect selfish intentions. Oh, here comes a really good looking family. Oh man, they're dressed the right way and well, look at the car they drove. Oh man, they, they look like they've got their act together. They're both wearing wedding rings. They must, they're carrying Bibles and, and they're, they're, they're sitting and they're singing the hymns. And then we see another family come in. Maybe they look like they don't know a whole lot. Maybe they look like they don't have a whole lot. Sometimes we're drawn, don't we? We, we run to the families that are, uh, that are sharp and that are impressive and, 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 and we think, I could be friends with them. And we, and we lose sight, we lose sight of what God can do in a life. And how God can take someone who comes in carrying a whole lot of baggage, and you heard what the pastor said a moment ago, how the blood of Jesus Christ, listen, it alleviates them of all that baggage. And they give it to the Lord, and God can remake them and make them new again. Many relationships reflect selfish intentions. Because of this, the poor are often despised and rejected, while the rich have an abundance of friends, and I use that term very loosely, a poor man or woman, the thinking is, can't add value to me or to my life. So why should I work very hard to develop a relationship with them? And I want to share just a couple of thoughts along these lines. I want to say, number one, don't be shallow. Don't be shallow. Don't be like that. I'm talking to myself here. I'm talking to all of us. Don't be shallow. Shallow people make determinations and judgments based on surface things. How a person looks, where a person lives, how they dress, what they do for a living, what color their skin is, where they're from, what language they speak, what heart language they speak. All of these things sort of fit into this and they make determinations, they make decisions. I can be friends with that person because I, I, I like who they are or I'm not going to be friends with them and they don't even get to know them. 
All they care about are these surface things, how they look and where they live and what kind of car they drive and what they do for a living and whether they're married or not and what color skin they have. And I'm just simply saying, the word of God teaches us, don't be like that. Understand, listen, understand that Jesus died for every person and that Jesus loves every person and then, and, then, and then every person has a story. And that story, I, I mean, I sat and I listened to this man and I was moved by his story. Now, we don't have a lot in common other than Christ. He told you, I'm tall and I'm handsome and I'm good looking. And I'm, I'm kidding, brother. We don't come from the same place. We don't speak the same language. Oh, but listen, God loves him just like he loves me. And God loves his people just like he loves my people. Don't be shallow. Don't be shallow. Don't, don't say, well, you know, he's from there. And I don't really have a whole lot to do with people that are from there. He lives in that neighborhood. And we don't really run with people from that neighborhood. What I'm saying is take the time to get to know people. And after that, then you can make a judgment about them. I mean, honestly. If you sat down with someone and, and, you, and, you've, and you've thought to yourself, you know, I spent time with them, I got to know them, and, and, and they, they, they are what I thought they were. They're not kind, and they're not, you know, whatever, and they're, not, and they're filled with pride, and they want nothing to do with the Lord. Well, then at that point, maybe you say, well, I can't really be close friends. I can still love them. I can still try to reach them. I can still try to win them, but I, I don't know that I can allow them to have too, too much influence in my life. I understand that. But sometimes we make that determination just based on how somebody looks. And we miss out, we miss out on what a beautiful relationship we could potentially have. I, I would say just resist the urge to be shallow, to befriend them or not befriend them based on surface things like how they dress or where they live or what language they speak or where they come from. And let me just say the second, the second truth that I think is, is driven home in verse number 20, and that is this. Listen, you must know that people are more than their bank account proclaims them to be. People are more than how much money they have in the bank. He says here, he says, listen, the, the rich, they have, they have a ton of friends. Everybody wants to be friends with the rich. Well, they're gonna pick up the tab at the restaurant. They're gonna, they're gonna invite me over and we're gonna do fun things. They have all the toys and we can enjoy spending time with them and, and living life with them. I don't have time for this guy because, well, he's, he's probably going to be more of a drain on me financially than anything else, and I can't afford that in my life. And you must know, you must know that people are more than their bank account proclaims them to be. In Luke 21, we won't turn there tonight, but in Luke 21, Jesus observed people giving to the temple on a specific day, and, and he saw, he saw a, a little old widow that no one hardly even knew was in the building. Now I just, in my mind, I just envision her walking in. She's probably hobbling and she's probably struggling to get where she needs to go. I, I envision she's older. I'm guessing her, hair, her, her head is covered. And she makes, makes, very little, makes very little impact on anybody, but Jesus saw her. And the Bible tells us that as Jesus beheld her, she walked, she walked over to the treasury. And she took, she took two mites and she placed those two mites in the, in the treasury and, and Jesus watched her. She put in such an insignificant amount compared to all of the others who were giving that day. Two mites was the smallest coin in their currency. It's comparable to someone today giving a penny, walking out to that offering box in the back and, and taking a penny and placing it in there and, 
and we would thank them for their gift, but probably most of us would say, well, you know, really, can we do a whole lot with that? Can we really get much done with a penny? And Jesus, Jesus did not scoff. Jesus did not belittle what this woman gave. In fact, in fact, he said something astounding. He said something that we would, on the surface, we would say, that can't be true. But he said it. And here's what he said. He said that that woman gave more than everyone else that day. And here's why. Because others gave from their abundance. In other words, they had, they had plenty of reserves, plenty of leftovers Whatever they were putting in, even if it was a uh, hundred times, a thousand times more than what this woman was giving, no big deal because they had 10,000 times still left over to enjoy and to live on their own. But he said she walked up and she put those two mites in. He said, here's why she gave more, because she gave everything that she had. There There were no reserves for this woman. There was nothing left in the bank account. And Jesus looked at her and he said, she is the greatest giver of all. And we'd sit here and say, well, no way. How can that be? She doesn't have, she, after giving us, she doesn't have two mites to rub together. How could it be possible that she gave the most? How it, because Jesus understood this truth, that people are more than what their bank account proclaims them to be. And so are you, and so am I, and so are anybody that's gonna walk in the doors of this church They can come in here and they may not look like they have a whole lot, but that's okay. Here's what they do have. They have a soul for which Christ died. And they have a story to tell. And they have have something of value and of worth that they can add to this fellowship. And may we never, may we never lose sight of this. But here's the problem we struggle with. Many of us, our relationships, they reflect selfish intentions. What can I get out of this person? And if we can move away from that and we can stop asking what can this person do for me and we can start asking this question instead what can I do for this person it'll change our lives final truth verse number 21 and we'll just finish here showing mercy is a healthy exercise showing mercy is a healthy exercise verse 21 the bible says he that despiseth his neighbor sinneth but he that hath mercy on the poor happy is he one new year's eve in london British dramatist Frederick Lonsdale was asked by Seymour Hicks to reconcile with a fellow member of this club that they were both members of. These two men, Frederick Lonsdale and this other man, had quarreled in the past and they'd never restored their friendship. You, um, you must, Hicks said to Lonsdale, you must get this right. He said, it is very, very unkind to be unfriendly at such a time. Go over right now and wish him a happy new year. So Lonsdale reluctantly crossed the room and walked up to this man that he'd been at quarrel and feud with for a long time, and he spoke these words to his enemy. I wish you a happy new year, he said, but only one. I wish you a happy new year, but only one. I don't know about you, but as I read that story, I I chuckled, as, as many of you did a moment ago, because isn't that the way sometimes we operate? We like to hold on to things, don't we? No matter, listen, no matter how long you nurse a grudge, it won't get any better. Mercy is, is, here's the definition of mercy. It's the benevolence, the mildness, 
The tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. It is unmerited or unwarranted favor and forgiveness. It is a difficult and foreign thing to our flesh. But God teaches us a really important truth here about showing mercy. And here it is. Here it is. Number one, to withhold mercy is sin. That's sin. Now we, we, might, we might look at it and give other definitions to it, but the Bible says it's sin. It's sin. To be, able to, to be able to give mercy to someone and to not do it is sinful in God's sight. Remember the Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. You know what that is? That's showing mercy. It's finding someone in this room or maybe someone in your home or someone in your workplace in which you have, you have hated them uh, with an everlasting hatred. Uh, every time you see them, your blood boils and your, uh, and, and, your, and your anger seethes and it's going to that person and saying, you know what, I'm done holding this against you. It is sinful for me to hate you in this way. I'm gonna show mercy. I'm gonna get right with this person. I'm gonna give, give this grudge up. I'm gonna give this bitterness up and I'm gonna love this person. Oh, it's, that's a healthy exercise. That's a good thing. Many, many times we show mercy to people because of what that person can do for us. I think that's, again, the, the thought that's conveyed here in verse 21. And people judge what the benefit will be to them if they show mercy and then they decide as to how they're going to proceed. If the person is poor and can add no value to them, then they withhold mercy. And he says, that's sinful. To harbor hatred, bitterness, and unforgiveness towards someone, that's sinful. As hard as it is to do, we must be willing to show mercy to others because it's sinful not to do so. But notice the final thought. And that is this, not only to withhold mercy is sin, but to show mercy. You know what it does for us? It brings happiness. It brings happiness. He says, he that despises his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Amen. You know, some of the most miserable people in all the world are people that are holding on to past hurts and offenses. And some of the happiest people in all the world are people like this man you met here tonight. Who a, who a country, who a country arrested him and tortured him, and imprisoned him. And what did he tell you tonight? I have such a heart for my people. How do I get the gospel to the Chinese people? Did you see the joy on his face? That's not a facade, that's the real deal. Why, why? why? Because he, he learned a long time ago to show mercy is a healthy exercise. Sometimes I look around and I think about the United States of America and there's so little of this sort of thing. Oh, man, the, the, the divisiveness in our country is at a level we've never seen before. So much hatred and so much anger and so much animosity towards one another. And is it any wonder, is it any wonder that two weeks from today we have to have a Sunday on mental health? Can you, can you not make the connection? Can you not make the connection that because of the way that we're living, that it's, it's messing with our minds? It's messing with our souls? It's messing with our spirits? And here's what God says. God says, you know what? If you'd start showing mercy to people, you know, you know what you'll find? It'll put a smile on your face. It'll put, a, it'll put a, a pep in your step. Put some joy in your heart. I love, I love, Brother Ron, you showed that picture. You said that guy up there looks a little grumpy. And I, maybe that, I don't know, maybe that's his, his picture face. I don't know. His country's at war. I'd be a little grumpy too, probably. But you know what he said? He said after he got saved, well, that grumpiness went away. Why? Because when, when, when you experience Christ's mercy, you're happy, aren't you? 
And when you, when you take Christ's mercy and you give it to someone else, it'll make you even more happy. And may God help us to understand that to show mercy, to show mercy, I know it feels really hard. I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I can overcome that. I don't know if I can forgive that person that way. And here's what you're, here's what you're understanding, that you're, you're discovering, you're saying, that's a hard truth. I don't know if that's possible, that I could be better by forgiving that person. I, it, it feels sort of good to me to hold on to that and to not release them from that. And God says, listen, if you'll let go of that, you'll be happy, truly happy. Hard truths. Oh, the Bible's full of them. This chapter's full of them. These are, these are six that we had time to look at. There's a bunch more. May God help us to live, to live life, not by the flesh, but to live life by faith. Would you stand with us? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.